in the valley of seduction. I'm going to talk about the valley of seduction today. Everybody say the valley of seduction. And yes, I, I believe I have the right word from God today. So I'm going to, if you will, turn in your Bibles. It'll be behind me. Isn't this cool? This LED screens. This is awesome. I love the lit up crosses. This is such a beautiful facility. All right. The valley of seduction. Are you ready? Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. And uh, we're going to look at verse 4 through 21. And if you've got it in your Bibles, I'd like for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're at home, I want you to listen in, tighten up, and, and just get ready because God's going to speak today. Because we're going to talk about inward stuff. Judges chapter 16, verse 4 through 21. Everybody say a good amen if you got it. A good amen. Okay, two of you got it. All right, if you got it, you're ready. Say amen. amen. Sometime later, he, being Samson, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Every one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room... She called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now, I don't know about you, but by this point in time, I would already... Be, I would already see the reading between the lines and realize uh, this woman's up to no good. Why he stayed around, I have no idea. So Delilah took new ropes and tied them with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pen, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with, pen, with the pen. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pen and loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, the prodded him every day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I've, I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah said that, said that he had told her everything she sent word to the rulers of the philistines come back once more he has told me everything so the rulers of the philistines returned with the silver in their hands after putting him to sleep on her lap and i'll let you conclude how she got him to sleep on her lap 
She called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza. Binding him with the bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Father, I thank you so much for your presence, your word. I pray, God, for the next little bit, God, you will speak to us, God, on the danger and the lure of seduction. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, God, that you would just, whatever the seduction might be, whatever the tool, whatever the Delilah could be for anybody's life. And I pray, Father, you would anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Help me to focus. And I pray, God, let an anointing, God, of our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father... Today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you got next to somebody with a green bracelet and you got one, high five them. Amen. High five a green bracelet if you've got a green bracelet. If you don't, air high five somebody. Glory to God. The classical Greek formula for tragedy is not merely a sad story. A lost love or the, or the death of a child makes for a good heart-rending movie from Hollywood. But in the eyes of the Greeks and Shakespeare, it's not necessarily a true tragedy. A tragedy, per se, is the story of a person of very high quality, perhaps even heroic proportions, who is brought to desolation by some flaw in their character that nobody else sees. So from Macbeth to Willie Loman, from Elvis Presley to Heath Ledger, literature and history offer truly tragic examples of the great and the near great, who because of some unresolved inner conflict because of some inner flaws that they never got taken care of, their lives ended in tragedy. To everyone, there comes the dreaded trek through Sorek. I'm going to call it the Valley of Seduction, and we all go through one angle or another in this terrible valley. If there is a soft, soft spot in us, the Valley of Sorek will expose it absolutely every time. Samson was not an evil man, but he was a tragic one. So how does Samson come about? Samson, if you want to find something that's like movie worthy or something that's like Hollywood worthy, just start in Judges chapter 13 and read through 16. His, his mother and father could not have a baby. By a miracle of God, an angel came and said they would. They had a baby out of a barren womb. This baby grows up and he has obviously grown up into a Nazarite vow where they couldn't touch dead people, they couldn't cut their hair, they couldn't drink alcohol or even eat grapes off the vine. I mean, he was set apart for the cause of God, was doing great things for God. By chapter 14, you find he goes to Timnah, which is a place in Philistines, and he sees a Philistine woman and he wants her. He comes back to his parents, get her for me. They say, hey, isn't there somebody else? Isn't there somebody else that can come? You know, one of the Israelites, one of your own people. No, no, no. 
I want her, I want her, I want her. So they load up. They plead, please don't do it. But like an obstinate child, I want her, I want her, I want her. And so here they go. They load up. They meet the father. They get the betrothed going. He goes back home. He comes back and they're at their wedding feast, if you will. And he gives a riddle and the Philistines can't answer it. Well, the Philistines start pressuring her. Tell us the name of the riddle or we're going to burn you all with fire. She nags at him and nags at him. Finally, he tells her. They come, they give him the answer. Then he's got to go kill 30 Ashkelites, 30 people from Philistines to get the clothes from them to pay his debt. He gets mad. He's great wrath and fury. He runs off. He finally cools down at some point, comes back, finds out the father says, Hey, I thought you were gone. I actually gave your wife to another man. And that's it. Samson blows his gasket. He catches some foxes. He ties torches to them. He burns down the Philistines' field. He runs to Judah. The Philistines show up. The Philistines say, we're going we're to kill everybody here unless you give us Samson. They turn Samson over to him. You know the story. He breaks loose of the ropes. He takes the, the, the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand men. I mean, that is an unbelievable story. An unbelievable story of, of grace. An unbelievable... You talk about the, 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 the incredible answer... Uh, uh, to anointing, the incredible grace of anointing is unbelievable. The sensation that it must have felt. And then he's dying of thirst. And he says, I'm not going to die of thirst. And so then all of a sudden water comes out of nowhere. And it's just one miracle after the other after the other. Well, I guess Samson got used to walking in outward victories and never took the time to deal with the inner flaws that was going on inside. Because by 16, verse, uh, chapter 16, he's in Gaza and Philistine land again. And now this time, he's hanging out with a prostitute. And at midnight, he wakes up. And they're all waiting to kill him. And the Bible says he tears the, the, gates, uh, the doors off the gates of the city, bar and all, which was hundreds of pounds. Carries it all the way to Hebron, which was probably uh, over 10 miles. Some people think 30 miles. Carries this stuff all the way over there. You talk about a miracle from God. And what's interesting to me, what blows me away, is when he does this, it's a miracle of grace. Listen, God spared him from death by the Philistines after an all-night affair with a prostitute. I can't figure out God sometimes. Is it all right to say that? By verse 4, what we picked up, he is strolling through the valley of Sorek. Here he goes into Philistines' land, and he is constantly testing his boundaries. He is constantly pushing it a little further, and a little further, and a little further. And he keeps, in his mind, getting away with it. And so here he goes a little further, and he finds a Delilah. I'm telling you, Sorek was a cool, pleasurable, uh, lush place. But it was there in the valley of Sorek. Fresh from the grace of God that he runs face to face with his Delilah. Now Delilah was the death of him and worse than the death of him, she was the end of him. I want you to hear me closely if you're watching online or you're in here. I want you to listen. Delilah and the valley of seduction took from him first his secret, then his strength and finally everything. Listen, seduction, a seducing spirit of whatever it is you can be seduced with will not stop till it has stolen and robbed you and destroyed every part of your life. That's what seduction will do. First, it takes the secret to your faith, which is hidden in the Word of God and in the presence of God. Our faith comes from getting in the Word of God. Someone say amen to that. 
It comes from getting in the Word of God. It comes from getting in the presence of God. And seduction will first take that, your faith. Then it will rob you of your strength to live for God. And finally, it will become the end of you. Every one of us knows somebody who at one time was on fire for God, who at one time was living for God, who at one time had a passion to go after God that you can't find opening their Bibles or walking in the church doors anymore. It's because the valley of seduction has destroyed them. And I come to tell somebody there's only one way out and that's to turn back to God. Somebody shout glory. Seduction means the enticement of a person to something. Something that tempts. Something that attracts or charms. It's, a, it's dangling the carrot, right? So a young girl or a young boy gets seduced into giving up their virginity. And when the, and when the whole deal is over, they're crushed. They realize they have given away something they can never give back. Now they're ashamed. Now they're afraid to face people. And before long, now they won't even go into the doors of a church anymore because they're so shamed. Now they don't want to live for God because the devil keeps telling them, they've done it now, they've blown it, it's over. And now they're ready to give up on life. That seduction had taken everything from that young man or that young girl. Take the seduction of a party scene. For these young people, they try to, the devil tries to make them think, oh man, you're gonna look how happy everybody is getting drunk every night. Look how happy they are smoking marijuana and doing hardcore drugs. And little do they know that it steals your joy, it steals your peace. And finally, you find yourself in a position where you no longer want to live for God, where you no longer want to serve God. And I know I'm using out there examples, and for people that are in the sound of my voice here in this auditorium, you may not be faced with that but what is your seduction maybe it's the seduction of money that says I gotta have more 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 until finally now you abandon going to church you abandon your relationships with your family until finally there's no relationships left all in the name of the next big deal the seduction of materialism I had a couple come to us one time and the husband had had it he had his own business and made a lot of money, but they never could get out of debt. They couldn't get anywhere. And he thought, something's wrong. His wife did all the finances. So they come in, and he is red hot as a firecracker. I said, what's going on? He said, she has run up the credit cards. And I can't remember if it was sixty-five dollars or $85,000. Just on stuff. Not a car, not a house, just, just stuff. How am I supposed to pay all that back? And that started a downward trend. She couldn't get control. He couldn't get control of his wrath and anger. She couldn't get control. They lost respect for each other. And to this day, they're divorced and done. Two kids left in shambles. Why? Because the seduction of materialism was ruining them. And I want to tell you something. Your seduction may not be to have an affair or to go out and do drugs. But it could be something to do with money. It could be gossip and lying. It could be unforgiveness. Or it could be hatred towards somebody of another color or another race. And I'm telling you, we've got to stop this stuff. The devil is out to try to destroy and divide. He's trying to cause black people to hate white people and white people to hate Asians and Asians to make fun of Mexicans and Mexicans to hate Singaporeans and Singaporeans to hate Europeans. I want to tell you something. There is only one in the body of Christ and we're, there's only one label God gave us and that is Christian. Somebody say amen. 
There's no longer Jew nor Greek nor barbarian nor Scythian nor none of this stuff. There is only we are under the name of Jesus. Somebody shout glory. The seduction of power will cause one person to abuse, steal, rape, pilferage, and murder to get whatever they got to get. I don't have to tell you there's been politicians that have fit that bill. And they think it's great, but eventually it will cost them every real relationship. And ultimately they will die a very slow and painful death. Seduction wants nothing more than to draw you away from God, your life source, and destroy every part of your life. Anything that seduces will never satisfy. Let me say that again. Anything that tempts and seduces may sound good in the temporary, but it will never, ever satisfy. There is only one that can satisfy, and His name is Jesus. You remember the song we used to sing? There is a fountain, boom, boom, boom. Who is the king, boom, boom, boom. Victorious warrior and Lord of everything. My rock, my shelter. Mind, that's who Jesus is. Who can satisfy? Who can satisfy? I'll tell you what. It's not a drug. It's not a bottle. It's not another person. It's not the next job promotion or house to live in. There is only one that can satisfy anything in your soul, and that's Jesus Christ. That's it. Only Jesus. Samson's weakness and, and his secret were not very hard to figure out. In all the Bible, perhaps all of the literature and history, I'm not sure there's any more that had a more tragic ending than Samson. I'm serious. He's the prime example of an entire breed, and I'm getting ready to drill down now. He's the example of an entire breed of, of fleshly carnal men like King Saul and Judah and Esau who did things based on their emotions and what they felt was good, and it just cost them everything. If we don't want to end up in a tragedy like Samson, then there's some things we got to do. And I find three keys here. And I know I've preached this text before, but I'm coming a very different angle. How do you defeat the valley of seduction? Point number one is this. The first key to victory in the valley of seduction is fight the real fight. What do I mean by that? On the one hand, Samson had tremendous supernatural power. He achieved things that we could only dream of. He was able to do great things for God. Yet he also was completely unable to control the great wrath and lust that owned him. Samson was the quintessential person that was able to win every outward victory but lose the war inside. And I want to tell you, we can come into a beautiful place like this. And we can feel good about ourselves because we're here at 3 o'clock on a Sunday. Pat ourselves on the back and say we're doing good. And all the while, while we're doing things on the outside that look good, we could be dying on the inside. I want to tell you the real fight is always on the inside. Somebody say amen. He was used greatly by God, but he died in tragedy. He was anointed from his birth, yet he was blinded to death by his own sin. The tragic failure in Samson's life laid in his failure to fight the real battle. The real battle was never the Philistines. The real battle was the wrath and lust he never could get control of here. It owned him. 
All through the Bible, it was one Philistine woman after the other, after the other, after the other. He would walk in the grapevines, was not supposed to be there. Lions would come out and attack him. And he kept getting away with it until one day it came time to pay the piper. I want to tell you something. You cannot play with sin but so long. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to say. Is it still okay to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it still okay to preach the whole gospel? The whole word of God? There's a lost message in this world today, and it's repent. We want to get people to feel good in the church. We want them to feel great about coming to church. And that's wonderful, but where is the godly sorrow that leads to repentance? That's the only thing going to change anybody's life. Listen, the Philistines were not Samson's primary enemy. Like Pogo said, we have seen the enemy and he is us. Samson's carnal nature on one hand and the spirit of power from God on the other was the real war. What do I mean by that? Samson never applied his supernatural strength. Listen to me. He never applied the spirit of God, the power of God, the supernatural strength from God to his carnal nature this is where he needed it most. He used his anointing and gift for God outwardly, but never applied it inwardly and died in tragedy. Oh man, I, I, I feel so strong about this. I plead with everyone to hear me. When the Spirit of God comes on you, it's not for you to feel good and have goose pimples. When the Spirit of God comes on you, let the power of God first fix you inside then worry about the outside. Is this good preaching today? I'm doing the best I can. Amen. Samson was emotionally, listen, listen. Samson was emotionally, not spiritually controlled. Emotionally flawed people, listen, are not necessarily those who cry a lot. We have a tendency to say, oh, they're out crying again. They're just so emotional. No, that's not what I'm referring to when I say emotionally moved people. Here's what I mean. You'll see it on the overhead. Or the screen. Amen. They are people whose decisions and judgment are informed more by feeling than spiritual wisdom. Oh, I feel like. I'm very careful about people that say, I feel, I feel, I feel. Wait a minute. What is the Word of God telling you to do? Is this lining up with the Word? Emotionally controlled people like Samson cannot be counted on to do what is right. What they feel... What is right, but what they feel is right at the moment. Let me say that again. I got tongue-tied. Emotionally controlled people like Samson cannot be counted on to do what is right, but only what they feel is right at the moment. And that is a disaster waiting to happen. I know a man right now that had a beautiful ministry, went around the country with a group singing, sharing the gospel at conventions, seeing people saved, and he got hooked on prescription drugs. And instead of trying to come clean and say he had a problem, he kept burying it and burying it until right now. His, his children, his wife are in hiding from him. He even told a drug dealer to have proof of it to kill his wife. He has lost his business. He's lost his ministry. He's lost his family. He's lost his mind. But his parents, being 
trying to not have to deal with it, they're buying him cars. They're blaming everyone else. It's never his fault. It's always somebody else. They never, because they can't deal with the pain of my son is a mess and I've got to help him out. I want to tell you something, folks. We got to get real. Somebody say get real. Look, if it's a spade, call it a spade. Amen? My point is, is that something's got to be done. If you had asked that man 10 years ago, would you be willing to get where you are now when you started that stuff? He'd say no a thousand times over. That's what seduction wants to do. It tries to dangle the carrot and make it look like it's wonderful. And oh, I want it and it's going to be glamorous. And one day you wake up and go, oh my God, what have I done? I've lost everything. That's what the devil does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. But if you'll give your life to Jesus, he'll bring you life and bring it to you more abundantly. Woo! Real life is in Jesus nowhere else. The way into the valley of Sorak or seduction is through emotion and appetite. Can't you hear him? Get her for me. Samson... Isn't there a girl in our village? You know, you don't have to get the enemy. No, I want her, I want her, I want her. The parent's weakness, listen, the parent's weakness and Samson's out-of-control appetites were a deadly combination. Samson's the quintessential carnal person that's never able to nail his flesh to the cross And like Paul said, you're going to die flesh. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I'm so bothered when I hear people say, Jesus took a cross for you. You don't have to. I understand what they're saying. Only Jesus can... His blood can save you. But Jesus himself told us we are to deny ourselves. We are to take up our cross and follow him. Being the same way with. I want to tell you. I'm pleading with some. I'm preaching better than some of you are looking at me. Amen. Listen to me. What I'm saying. I'm pleading today. I hear it. I feel it so deep in my spirit. We've got. To, there's a, there's a, a yearning of the spirit here today. And he is saying get control of what's going on on the inside. Get control of the fantasies you're having. And the lust having and the hatred and the prejudice get control of that and get it out in Jesus name Woo! whoever or whatever the carnal person believes to be the enemy the real enemy is within Satan will happily allow you hundreds thousands of victories outwardly to keep your guard down he will gladly lose a thousand battles if he can win the war He'll gladly keep us caught up in a hundred outward skirmishes politically, racially, in-laws, outlaws, Philistines, whatever. If he can keep us distracted from fighting the real war inside ourselves. And he's constantly trying to, them, there, those are the problem. No, I'm telling you, we've got to get down on our knees again. And we've got to cry out to God and say, God, help me with me. I need me to get fixed. I need me to get straightened out. It ain't everybody else. It's me. I got to get fixed. It's good preaching today. In the midst of outward battles and outward triumphs, listen. Remember the appetite and emotion are the real fight. 
Point number two in the key to victory in the valley of seduction is, oh, hang on. Poke your neighbor and say, hang on to your bootstraps. Speak the, seek the spiritual above the religious. Let, let me say this again, folks. Seek the spiritual above the religious. Samson was to drink no wine, not eat grapes, not touch dead bodies, not cut his hair. Keep himself pure. It is amazing. Listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to get on some Pharisees here today. Are you ready? And I'm sure there's none in here. Maybe they're watching online. I don't know. Maybe I'm just preaching to the choir. But here we go. It's amazing to me that Samson could keep his hair long but could sleep with prostitutes. That's what religious people do. They show up on Sunday mornings, they clap their hands and act like they got it all together. And then they go home and they're watching pornography. They got lust all eating them up. They're mean and hateful. They're mean as snakes. You don't want to be around them. You know, I could, the list could go on and on and on. I'm telling you folks, it ain't about being religious outwardly. It's about being spiritual inwardly. Can I preach for a little while? Spiritually, the deadliest of all combinations, hear this, is the recipe of carnality and false spirituality, which is nothing more than a religious spirit. We had a man in our church one time that an older man came down to the altar and got saved, radically saved. He left that day storming storming. Mad as he could be because he didn't like one of the songs we sang. I mean, he was so mad he wanted to come to me about it. And it's like, are you kidding me? Someone got saved and all the heavens rejoicing. And all you can think about is you had to leave the auditorium because you didn't like one song that was sang. Where is your spirituality? That ain't nothing but a religious spirit. That's Pharisee written all over it. I want to tell you something, folks. We got to get spiritual on the inside. King Saul had just disobeyed God for the last time. God sent Samuel and said, man, he's going down. I got somebody else to take his spot. And here, listen, if God told me that, I would just cry, oh, God, forgive me. I repent. You know what Saul's response is? Are you ready for this? Look on the overhead. 1 Samuel 15, 25 to 30. Now I beg you, forgive my sin. He's talking to Samuel, not God. And here's, he really wasn't wanting to be forgiven of his sin. Here's what the deal was. And come back with me so I may worship the Lord. Seems okay right now. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samson, Samuel excuse me, turned to leave, saw caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Right now, if that were me, I'd be just, oh my God, what have I done? I'm sorry, I repent. Here's what he's concerned with. Samuel says, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Here's Saul's reply to this. I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. In other words, hey, I need to go outside. I, don't, I know I'm getting ready to lose the kingdom. I know me and my whole family are about to die. But I need to look good in front of my people. So will you come back out and worship so it seems like everything's cool on the outside. What a tragedy for people of God to walk into a church like this Sunday after Sunday with hidden sin and never tried to get it right before God. To wave the hands and raise them up and sing the songs and smile. Good brother, I got my green on. Give me a hug. And get in the car and go home and live like the devil Monday through Saturday. What a tragedy. 
I'm preaching to somebody, folks. It was a pastor in the neighboring town in Georgia where we pastored. And right before a Sunday night church service, his wife stood up. She said, hold on before the service begins. I've been suspecting my husband's having an affair. She grabbed a folder, pulled out a picture. She said, here, I hired a private investigator. Here is your pastor and sister so-and-so pointed her out going in a motel. Sister so-and-so got her pocketbook and walked off. As soon as she walked off, she said, I'm not done. She pulled out another person. She said, and here's your pastor and sister so-and-so right there walking into another motel. She got through three of them. She said, now what are you going to do? And the pastor got up. He said, nobody cares. I don't care. And I'm not resigning this church. Nobody cares. And the crazy church booted her out. You talk about a messed up church. Folks, somewhere in there, we got to get real. Is there no fear of God anymore? Is there no fear of the Holy Spirit anymore? Is there no prayers like David said anymore? Take not the Holy Ghost from me. My Lord, what would I do without the Holy Spirit? Is there nobody on their knees going, Oh my God, please have mercy on my soul. Is there anybody repenting anymore? How have we gotten to a place in the church where we can come in and have feel-good service and leave unchanged? Pastor, you're a wild man today. I know it. At least I ain't yelling at the guy next to me. Amen. Be real. Refuse to play spiritual games. We can come in and, 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 and act like everything's all right and get on the phone and gossip and judge and speak terrible things over people. Looking straight into another person's eyes and admitting our fleshly issues is called honesty. And honesty, especially with God, will give you strength to come out of the valley of seduction. And my last point, I'm almost done. The third key to victory in the valley of Sorek, I just lost my deal here. The third key to victory in the valley of Sorek, here we go. Do not confuse anointing with permission. Do not confuse anointing with permission. Samson's most critical mistake was he kept doing things wrong and getting away with it. And he thought, well, I'm anointed, I guess I'm above the law. One of the most sickening pictures of the Middle Ages of any time in history, listen, is crusader knights killing and plundering thousands in the name of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Believing themselves to be on so noble of a quest that brutality en route was excused. So people in the name of Jesus Christ wearing crosses on their armor saying they were going to free the holy city of Jerusalem from infidels, raped and murdered thousands on the way. I'm sure God was looking down from heaven smiling. Oh, my people, look what they're doing. They're going to deliver my city from the infidels, and along the way they're killing, raping, and pilferaging. Listen, we can look at that and say how ridiculous, but listen, are people in the church any different? When all week long they have the fish on their car, the Christian bumper stickers, the Christian shirts, and they live like the devil. I'm going to preach, amen. 
Samson just couldn't believe that anybody that could kill thousands with a donkey's jawbone or tie firebrands to foxes and burn down fields or tear off the doors and gates and, and, and the post of all of the city and walk off just could not be held to the same standards as those who were not anointed. And it's a common error in the modern church. There was a pastor of a very large church one time, and he was having extramarital affairs, and he got busted, and he just he refused to believe he was wrong, and man, his world came crashing down. What is the problem? The problem is confusion. Listen, in closing, victory in battle, success in action, and anointing in ministry feel like permission to not be held to the same standard as lesser thans. And that's what Samson's problem was. After every triumph in life or ministry, go quickly to your knees or go slowly into the valley of seduction. But it's one or the other. Anointing has nothing to do with holiness. I'm going to say that again. Anointing has nothing to do with holiness. At the peak of his career, David fell with Bathsheba. So in the valley of seduction... All of us must pass through some Delilah or another. Whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's lying, anger mismanagement, unforgiveness, generational curses, hatred, pride, gossip, whatever it is. Hating somebody because of the color of their skin or the nationality or the place they're from. And it goes all the different ways. Listen, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, there will be some that will tempt us. Whether it is sex, money, or power, or a million other Delilahs, they will seduce. So what's the answer? The only answer, look behind me, is to crucify that blank. You fill in the blank at the cross of Calvary. That's the only victory. Somebody say amen. Crush it at the foot of the cross now or it will destroy you later. Two scriptures and we'll pray. Galatians 2.20. I have been what? Crucified with Christ. That's how you get victory. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. I understand in a setting like this, there's probably not a lot of people in here in some heinous sin. I, I get it. Man, I just feel like an old-fashioned, just on-our-knees altar call. I ask you to close your eyes, bow your head, and just right where you're at. I don't know, you might want to just turn around, put your knees on the ground, your elbows on the chair, and make it an altar. I'm going to ask you to search your heart. Search yourself. Is there some inner flaw? Is there some hidden character that is, that is off the deep end? And while you haven't had to pay a real significant price yet, it's on its way, folks. Maybe you're here and you say, where's my fire for the Lord gone? Why, instead of praying for sister so-and-so, do I find myself on the phone talking bad about her? Why, instead of being truthful, am I lying? 
why do I come in here to a service like this and raise my hands and praise God and then go home and just live totally against what the Bible says? I hear the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord saying, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you do not obey what I say? Oh, I wish some folks would maybe find their way to their knees and just begin to cry out to God. Can we still do that? And maybe when you're done searching yourself, it was David who wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, that's still a wonderful prayer. Would you pray it? And while you're praying, would you just pray for God to to direct us, lead us, the church, to keep us strong? Can we pray that everyone stay encouraged, that everyone be filled with hope and faith? Can we pray as a church right now that nobody gets COVID-19, nobody gets coronavirus? Can we just get to our knees and pray? Come on, I beckon you. Find a spot and begin to pray. They're going to sing something.